Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and Pat, we had our first recap episode on Tuesday. We have our first true one-game preview episode today. I think people might like it a little bit more than our hour and a half (laughs) 25-game preview that we put out a few weeks ago, but... Super excited for today. We're going to go through Temple. We're going to go through Delaware State. And we're going to talk more about our impressions after night one at the Finn just a few nights ago. A little easier to stay focused on this preview when you're just <laughs> trying to hit two teams rather than yeah. everyone on the schedule, all the Big East teams and potential teams that could play at the PK Invitational. Yeah. So the first thing I want to ask you, because I feel like it has been the buzz phrase over this last week. How quickly or how much of a priority do you think it needs to be for college basketball to start putting better games on the schedule early? It's a good question. Uh, And it's something college basketball kind of addresses. Uh, Example, Friday, we'll have Michigan State and Gonzaga on the USS Abraham Lincoln from San Diego on an aircraft carrier. That is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to watch that game. Yeah, Yeah, I will be... Well, I'll see the start of that game. And then, of course, Villanova takes over. So it will be relegated to commercials. Uh, But that's a big deal. And then the Champions Classic is next Tuesday, at least to, you know, have those four big programs in Michigan State, Kansas, Duke and Kentucky. Opening week, though, a little rough this week. I got to say, there's not too many marquee games going on. You look at the Big East. I mean, Villanova is the only one that's playing really (laughs) even reputable uh, mm-hmm. opponents here in LaSalle and Temple. So it's not ideal. I mean, I, I know teams like to try to ease into things so coaches can try, try to figure out what they have, but it'd be nice if there's a little more juice on some of these matchups. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, there definitely is a little bit of exaggeration because we do start getting some marquee matchups even next week. But maybe I, I think what people have such a hard time with is opening night. The opening night of college basketball. There were no it's marquee hard, games. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to get excited about a lot of the teams that you're seeing on on uh, the headline of ESPN. So yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to monitor. I think it's easy to fix. It's just willingness of teams to jump into things so quickly and automatically get that bad loss when it comes to Selection Sunday down the stretch. That's what it's going to be hard for to, to uh, convince coaches to do. Exactly. And you get it every so often. What from a year ago, wasn't it? Gonzaga UCLA was very early on. It was early. Um, Even Nova season. UCLA was very That was game early two, on. actually, yeah. from uh, from a year ago. Uh, I Gonzaga has been a team over the past couple of years where Mark Few, it's they're like the traveling circus. They'll play anyone, anywhere. Um, yeah. And as, as they you- should, because they need more big time wins to boost that exactly exactly but uh, i wonder if you start to see it develop as a little bit more of a trend and have some more teams jump on that bandwagon to try and uh also jack up their uh non-conference schedule however if the ncaa tournament looks to expand no one's gonna do it because they're all gonna get in anyway but let's not touch that on this episode. yeah i was just gonna say you're just gonna that's have going the, down uh, a rabbit hole <laughs> I, i'm gonna blow a gasket if we talk about that but you actually did lead it into um a, a nice thing that i wanted to bring up here in, in terms of uh, strength of schedule on opponents here it, giving credit to LaSalle for Villanova's facing uh, or who Villanova faced on night one 
that's the best team Villanova's played to open a season since 2020-21, which I know doesn't sound that long ago because it was against Boston College in, in late November uh, in the bubble there when, with the COVID protocol. But if you think about it otherwise in terms of opening opponents over the past couple of years, it's been Mount St. Mary, Army, Morgan State, uh, Columbia, and Lafayette. So mm. Villanova did step up here a little bit in game one, playing that big five opponent. Of course, we know the intensity with a coach that knows the big five probably better than anyone else and some legitimacy there. So I do want to give credit to Nova. No, they didn't go out and play Kentucky on night one, <laughs> but it's still uh, it's still a little further along than I think you're seeing a lot of these programs play. Yeah, I like I, we talked about it. One of the first episodes, I think I like having big five first. I do too. It it's does cool. put. It puts added pressure maybe on the other teams more than Villanova because Villanova is the hunted, but I liked it. Speaking of reputable teams, though, I think you and I both gave Temple a little bit too much credit, Pat. Oh, man, what a rough start for them. (laughs) They dropped an overtime thriller to Wagner on night one. I'm pulling up the score. It was was something crazy. 76-73 in overtime. I'm just going to take you through some some cool stats before I let you have the floor here, because this one is, this one's pretty good people. So Temple, Pat and I said that we really like the, the shooting combination of Damian Dunn and Khalif battle. They are working on some momentum from last year. It'll be a good defensive assignment for the Nova guys. We're excited. And Mm -hmm. I still generally am excited to play them, but they go out against Wagner at home as 15 and a half point favorites. Wagner hit a three with three seconds left in regulation to send it to overtime. And they were down Wagner by a significant margin at one point in that game. So not a good look for Temple to start off the season, a team that was expected to compete in conference, a team that was expected to be a thorn in the side of Villanova in terms of big five play. Wagner was 261st overall in Ken Palm going into that game. So you're saying not an ideal start. Not an ideal start at all. It, exactly. So, and to give so, some more context to Temple too, even before going into that game, you know, we did talk about it on that preview episode. So some of this will sound a little familiar, but they are coming off a 17 and 12 season with Aaron McKee a, as their head coach. They had their best win of the year against Vanderbilt a year ago. They even kept it close against Houston in one of their matchups. I believe they only lost that game by five. Uh, side note, Houston is my pick to win your national championship this year. But really? we, don't need, we don't need to hold me to that. Um, you know, don't need to or do? We don't need to. We don't need to. <laughs> okay. that, that's where I'm thinking. <laughs> a um, non-confident national title pick. Love it. <laughs> uh, they're a team, as you said, built on some pretty strong perimeter defense around it. But it just it didn't translate in game one, which is honestly pretty surprising because when you look up at that, look at the makeup of their roster, they get 89% of their minutes back from a year ago and 94% of their scoring. So this isn't exactly a team that went through drastic changes year over year. This is a very similar team that was kind of, you know, move trending in the right direction and going on the up and up. As you mentioned, they led by 15 with seven and a half minutes to go. That was a 99.5% win probability. At that point, they found a way to lose from there. They gave up 31 points in the final 10 minutes of the second half. That is more points than they allowed in the entirety of the first half. A complete Mm. collapse for them. And then they only scored four points in overtime to really add insult to injury. A really, really rough start for Temple, which is important because the schedule does not get any easier. I was just going to say, they've got a tough non-conference, yeah. They most certainly do. It's a brutal start to the schedule for them. Uh, Of course, have Villanova on Friday. Then they follow that up with Vanderbilt, Rutgers, and St. John's before playing LaSalle, Drexel, and VCU. So there's really no easy game in that stretch. They had to have that game over Wagner. They had that game over Wagner with seven minutes left, and they let it go away. There's no reason it should have gone away. I I don't know how you re-energize the team after that as well for a coach that's already has potential questions if this season doesn't continue in that good direction, but to drop the one that was a constant amidst that tough schedule that you just mentioned, it's a brutal one. There weren't all bad individual performances. I will say Damian Dunn in 43 minutes had 29 points. People, he was 18 for 18 from the free throw line. Perfect 
What does that remind you of? And then battle off the bench, 38 minutes, 16 points. A little bit less of an offensive production from him, but Dunn certainly picked up the slack. Everybody else was just absolutely atrocious from the perimeter. <laughs> yeah, no, da- Damian Dunn is where I wanted to go with first year. We look at your players to know uh, for Temple. He's a redshirt sophomore from Kingston, North Carolina. This is year four at Temple, though he is a redshirt sophomore. So there is potential for us to see a lot more of Damian Dunn over the next couple of seasons. Uh, he's a preseason first team, all AAC player. I think that just goes into high, highly, how highly touted he is. Is very dangerous score around the basket struggles from three, but can hurt you from there. Uh, and his big issue is that he just, he turns the ball over way mm. too often. Uh, he averages about three per game for his whole career. team does. Yeah, yeah. It's not pretty. As you said, he had a very strong performance on Monday night, though. He also had a crippling turnover down the stretch, with, which really helped Wagner get back into it and send that game to overtime, but he's dangerous. And one of the key things I'm going to be watching here is, is how Villanova matches up with him defensively. Yeah, that's exactly where I wanted to go. Really quick, first though, any thoughts on why Battle came off the bench other than just recovering from that injury and he only started, I think it was seven games last year because of it? Yeah, so that, that struck me too that he came off the bench. I have to imagine it's just because he hadn't played since, I want to say the date's December 1st of yeah, 2021. Was, I think it was seven games, that's it. it yeah, yeah that, that sounds right, uh, before he had the broken foot. So I, I'd imagine it was more of just trying to ease him in. But the funny thing is, what's the point in starting a guy on the bench if you're going to play him 38, 38 minutes? 38 minutes. <laughs> as he did. Like, you might as well just start the guy at that point, but hey. I guess we'll see how it plays out on Friday. And easing in don't really go hand in hand. Not so much. That that made me laugh, too. (laughs) There's absolutely no point. Even all the things that you think of when you think of guys off the bench, spark plug, microwave, get some new energy. When you're playing 38 minutes, none of that really. It all becomes a moot point. But, yeah, defense, this will be an incredibly slow-paced game. Yes. If Nova can shoot well to start, I really think they can just completely dust Temple. Because, again, this... Shooting is not Temple's strength. Their their strength is having those two scores in battle and done. And my biggest question is who will get the other defensive assignment? If Slater's going to draw one, who can do the other? Is it going to be Daniels? Is it going to be Longino? You assume that Moore, who really grew into a solid defensive player down the stretch of last year, would have gotten that if he had been healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious to see who's going to step up defensively for Nova. Yeah, the, I mentioned it there, but the Damon Dunn uh, defensive assignment is what my eye is on because yeah. you would imagine he's Kyle's going to stick with the same starting lineup, which of course mm-hmm. means Chris Archdiakono is, is in at point guard. I, I That can certainly pose a, a matchup difficulty, just understanding Dunn's quickness and, and really what his strengths are. As we talked about on Monday, I think Arch did a serviceable job out there on D. Uh, against LaSalle, but Dunn is just a different level of scorer um, than, yeah. than what he saw on Monday night. So I do wonder if the defensive assignments get a little bit more creative. I'm fairly certain Brandon Slater is going to be on Khalif Battle. They just, mm-hmm. they, they line up pretty well uh, size-wise. But the question here is Daniels or potentially Alonjino. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Arch start on Dunn just to try and keep things pretty centric and pretty central there. But I have a feeling Caleb Daniels will end up being on him for a good portion of this game. Yeah, what Temple is really going to force is trying to get Arch on his heels. He, mm-hmm. he, I, I agree with you. I think he did a competent job on the perimeter, but LaSalle didn't drive very well. Dunn and Battle can both drive very well. So that's what they're going to try to exploit. And I have a question for you, and it's going to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. Are you ready? I'm always ready. You brought up such a good point on tuesday about how about neptune's lack of a quick hook when the freshman made mistakes if arch starts to look lost on defense do you think there's a quick hook for him specifically because of that defensive liability i think defensively you have there's more opportunity for it to be a faster hook than offense i think you can live with you know the mark armstrong going with the two turnovers in a row, just understanding he's a young freshman out there in his first game, trying to trying to make things happen on offense. I think defensively is where you may see things be a little bit faster, though he did leave Angelo Brizzy out there, who did get burned uh, a couple of times in game one. I 
the thing with Arch is you know that he knows the system. You, this coaching mm-hmm. staff talks glowing, glowingly about him. I'm struggling with my words tonight. Um, so I don't expect them to have too much of a hook for him specifically. I wonder if some of the younger players you see it maybe move a little bit faster, but Arch, I, I think he's going to be out there. Yeah, you. they've taken that into account when making the decision to start him is what I think you're saying, right? Pretty much. You have to. You have yeah. to. You know that's the biggest weakness. And you. I guess for them, the positives outweigh those negatives on defense. But yeah, I, I think that's a, a really, really good point that on offense, you can experiment a little, more, a little bit more. If you're just getting beat time and time again on defense, you have less of an excuse to hit the guy in the game. Mm-hmm. That right. brings me to another point. Do you want to say something quickly? No, go for it. Bench. Temple has a very small bench, but it's a very productive bench. The third guy, they, three of three, the third guy had 17 minutes off the bench against Wagner. My question is if this is the 21-22 Villanova bench problem, because they blew that, what, what did you say, 15-point lead yep, to Wagner? Th- exactly. 15-point lead to Wagner down the stretch of the second half and in overtime. Could it be that they just do not have enough bodies? They're putting so much pressure on Dunn and Battle. Battle potentially still dealing with that injury if he's coming off of the bench. It's going to be different for Villanova this year because they are obviously not in that position anymore, though the bench is more inexperienced. So I just wonder how that's going to come into play a little bit especially with both teams playing such slow tempos. Yeah, I, I think the slower tempo at <laughs> tempo and temple. Uh tempo, tempo and temple. Exactly. Uh can kind of aid in playing a bunch of minutes because you're not doing that up and down the floor track meet type, which which might help the legs, though still early in the season, it's difficult to ask for these guys to be out there so much and have so little help because as much as you know these guys are are very well conditioned and phenomenal athletes there is no substitute for game shape and being able to go through it and game two during week one i think it's a big ask to uh, have want these guys and have these guys be in a position to be in the same spot where they're going to be in you know january and february as we go through it so it's something to watch for it i i think i don't know how much it's going to affect temple because as we said villanova is not going to run the floor that's no. that's we have not seen any um evidence to to state that so far but it's certainly something we can monitor yeah and it's it's literally the same exact conversation we had last year because i'm looking at Temple's schedule now and the beginning of the season as opposed to conference play is when you do want to ride your guys a little more because there is so much more of a break between games they have they had a Monday to Friday this week. They have a Tuesday to Friday next week. Then they have seven days off after that. So they're getting into shape, <laughs> not even slowly, but surely they're there, but they just have more time to recover afterwards. So especially in this big five play, you're, you're assuming you're going to get almost 40 minutes from both battle and done. Yeah, absolutely. And on, on note on battle too, just so that, you know, people understand what, what he really is as a player, you know, as you said, he only played seven games from a year ago, but before he got injured, he led the AAC in scoring at over 21 points a game. Now, I don't know if we're going to see that level of battle because of course it's, he's still coming off of that injury and he's getting himself back up to speed, but this is a very talented player here where he struggled on Monday night from deep, but he's about a 36% uh, three-point shooter as well on top of the physical frame that he adds. So he's a difficult assignment. He really is. So I, I have the utmost confidence in Brandon Slater as a defensive assignment. I wonder how things shift, though, when Slater's maybe not in the game. That's mm. going to be a tough draw for some of the other young wings. I was just going to say, when that rotation and we have a really exciting mailbag that we're going to get to. And a lot of the questions, as I hint towards it, have to do with the rotation. And when guys are subbed out, when that core three, let's say, is subbed out, who's going to step up? And this is the first defensive test. So do you think Villanova will ever be on the ropes? At Temple, by the way, first road game. I do not expect this to be an easy game for Villanova. Uh, I do think Villanova wins this game, but I think Temple is going to be around them for for most of this yeah. game. I agree. I th- yeah. I think Dunn and Battle do well enough to scare us a little bit. That's they, the best way that I can think of to put it. They certainly can, and 
I think it, it would be foolish to look past mentality here. This has got to be a pissed off Temple team after yeah. losing to Wagner. And they've got Villanova coming into their house to play them for the first time in two years in a big five game. I think there has to be some sort of rebound coming from them. I, I don't think they'd be human if, if they weren't looking to really come out of the gates firing after what was truly embarrassing uh, on mm-hmm. Monday night. So I, I expect to get Temple's best shot for sure. Yeah, and you also hope that this this is the type of matchup that can bring some juice back to the Big Five. Feels like we said the word juice in Big Five 15 times on that first episode, but it's true. If Villanova has a threat, this is the game. I Yeah, Temple's the best team of the Big Five opponents for, for Nova here, so I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think, it's, I think it'll be a good game to watch. I think Villanova's offense can really groove again if they control the tempo they play their game and they shoot as well as they did in stretches uh as game one but i'm excited to see what tempo can bring offensively and how nova looks defensively certainly and the other thing i'm really looking for is it's still very early on but do we begin to see a pattern develop for playing time or does anything drastically change kind of from game one to game two example do we see nana and joku for you know eight or nine minutes when we only saw him for one how does you know how does trey patterson's minutes look from game one to game two just i I wonder if we start to see even anything shift or if things look pretty status quo from one to two yeah i just looked up to how many times tumble got to the line 30 times it's what they do that's one of that's one of my keys to the game here yeah this this team last year nova last year did not have the luxury of fouling because there was nobody on the bench to replace them again this team does have more depth but can trey patterson truly be the backup center can Njoku be the backup center if dixon or slater or daniels get into foul trouble yeah i think villanova really has to mitigate temple at the foul line and they have to defend without fouling because it is most certainly a point of emphasis for this owl team is to get to the line. Now they're not always an effective foul shooting team. I believe last year they were somewhere in the sixties, which obviously is very, very poor. Um, However, on uh, opening night against Wagner, they were really good. 26 of 30, about 87%. It helps when done, as you mentioned, goes 18 for 18 from the line. Yeah. To, uh, to help inflate that number. But they get to the line a ton. It's really one of their stalwarts, and I would expect to see them try and exploit that as well on Friday night. Yep, totally agree. That's one of my points, too. I think that is all I had. They're, they're going to turn the ball over a lot, so if Nova can just keep things tight, I think they'll be okay. I'm looking forward to any- it. Big. Yeah, you got anything else? I'm looking forward to it, too. No, just that I think, it, first off, it's a Friday night game during week one. It's perfect yeah. Um, yeah. To, to really – uh, welcome in the weekend and get some Villanova basketball on a Friday night. I'm going to be juiced up for it. Uh, it's a road game. It's a true road game for Nova, even though it's in Philly. Of course, it's still at a opposing campus uh, and it's a big five game. So uh, I'm pumped for it. And people, you might as well get the most out of it as you can, because there's going to be a little bit of a letdown when Delaware state visited visits on Monday night. Oof. You think that's an understatement? It's uh. It, it, <laughs> Well, for Delaware State, I don't mean to be mean, but truly, I mean, it's going to be a tough game to watch on Monday night. That's the that's the hope. way I can say it. Yeah, that that's the hope. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit on Delaware State. Uh, they did go two and twenty six from a year ago, zero oh, and fourteen in the MIAC. Um, they are a historically black college and university, making it two years in a row that Villanova has hosted an HBCU, joining Howard, who they defeated 100 to 81 at the Finneran <laughs> Pavilion a year ago. That was a bad defensive performance. Yeah, I was, was furious after that yeah. game. If we remember that podcast, yeah, um, it was bad. Not good. Uh, This is a program that has not won more than six games since 2017. So just kind of go into the struggles uh, of Delaware State here. However, in 2017 was the same year that they defeated St. John's at Carneseca Arena. Oh, that's cool. A little ouch right there. Um, This is now year two for Stan Waterman uh, as he looks to, I don't know if you can say build on the two wins from a year ago, but... I'll, I'll go with it on the optimistic view. And interestingly enough, this is not the first time that Villanova will play Delaware State. They played one other time in December of 2001, where Villanova won 67-44. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Wow, a low scoring affair. Not great, but hey, they, they got a job rock done. fight, if you will. But they <laughs> Just did. A bit. I'm thoroughly impressed by the amount of research you did on Delaware State. Where did you find this information? Uh, well, first off, some of it was from View Hoops, of course. So okay. please, please go Love check that. out the site and uh, and make sure you're staying up to date on all things Wildcast throughout the season. <laughs> Good prop. E- Eugene is going to love that plug. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, just looked around, you know, Ken Palm stuff and searching through Delaware State's history, uh, try and find yeah. some things because I felt like I needed to come to the table with something to get the people ready for Monday night. Oh, totally. So I also spent a lot, a lot of time researching Delaware State. And this is the one bullet point that I have. Are you ready? I'm ready. A lot of shooters take a lot of shots and not a lot of them go in. Fair enough. That's all um, I got. Fair, Their fair. shooting percentage is not good. They lost 95 to 57 to Virginia Tech on night one also. Yeah, it it, it, it was as ugly um, as it is. Uh, look going. at that non-conference schedule. Virginia Tech and Nova, the first two games for Delaware State. That's awesome. Good for them. Yeah, no, they're going for it. I believe they play Immaculata. Um, as well uh, yeah. right before the, the Villanova game so uh, we don't have a score from that yet as we record this but if uh, if you're looking for uh, a little bit of more context on them we can, we can certainly go into that um, for players to know on Delaware State um, Kyrie Statton scored 16 against the Hokies and this is honestly what I'm most interested in when it comes to Monday um, for Delaware State's starting lineup they throw out their Raymond Stone and Brandon Somerville that's a pair of six eleven forwards that lead mm. their front court. So they're going to play big. Now this Villanova team is not huge. Uh, we know there is some talent in the front court there with a Brandon Slater and an Eric Dixon, but they're not your prototypical centers per se. So I'm intrigued how Villanova plays this going up against just two lengthier uh, front court guys. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's a test for the conference too. Oh yeah, they're going to see it all year with some of the best big men in the country come from the Big East this year. So yeah. while no, a, a Stone or a Somerville are, don't have the same <laughs> skill as you're going to see from a lot of these Big East guys, they at least present an issue just in, in terms of build and, and size. Yeah, I, I always like that part of the game too because it feels like it's been a long time since we called a Villanova squad big and they still continue to be successful in other ways. So I, I'm always so curious when it comes to game planning, both from the opposing team thinking that that's something they can exploit, and then Jay Wright or Kyle Neptune this year turning that somehow into a strength. And maybe this is the game where we see them push the pace a little bit because they can try to exploit the probably less conditioned 6'11 big men on the floor because that is huge. 6'11 is huge. Yeah, it's because the fundamentals are usually so strong. For, yeah. for Villanova squads, just they're able, they're in the right defensive position. They come at the right time for double teams. They're one of the best teams in the country at boxing out, especially from their guards, which can really help mitigate some of those front court impacts when they are losing the size battle. Listen, sometimes it burns them. Just think from a year mm-hmm. ago, Zach Eady, that was a nightmare matchup against yeah. Purdue. I mean, it's usually always going to be a nightmare matchup against someone that is as tall as him. Um, like way over seven foot. I don't want to quote him incorrectly, but I have like seven, four in my head um, <laughs> for Edie. Of course, six eleven is not seven, four, but as you mentioned, in a lot of cases, Villanova has done a, a pretty serviceable job against some of the uh, larger opponents, literally um, in size that yeah. they've played over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a ton of double teams because Delaware state. Force them to shoot. Have- yeah, yeah, they and they won't be able to make those shots. So it does seem like though that we have a lot of things to watch defensively. I think we'll come away from both of these games with a much clearer picture of what this team, I, what this team's identity is on defense, which I'm excited about. That that's really all about what these first couple games of the season are is trying to figure out what Villanova has and how some of these different yeah. pieces fit into the puzzle. Understanding that this is not going to be a complete picture 
until later on the season when some of the injuries or guys that are injured do come back. But for Monday night, what are you looking for from Nova? What's something that you really want to see them come away with? So we just talked a lot about defense. I think I'm more interested in that because Dunn and Battle are so accomplished. That's what I'm going to be looking for in that Temple game. I actually want to see them completely pour it on for the full 40 minutes. Why not? Start off hot, finish strong. That was another thing that we this team struggled with so much last year, finishing strong. I want to see a ton of minutes distribution. Keep that quick hook out of the picture. And I, I hope they can really just shoot well, be strong offensively, and not lay off the gas at all. Yeah, I have a very similar one for the the Delaware State game here. I just want to see a comprehensive victory. I do not yeah. want this to be a game where things are are at all uncomfortable late. This very much should be Villanova exerting some dominance here uh, and being able to to run all over a team that they're certainly more talented in. So I, I, that is what I want to see come Monday night at the Finneran Pavilion. And then additionally, um, this is a point from actually one of our great listeners and Tom Zhang. Uh, I want to see Love him it. spread. Yeah, of course. Uh, I want to see him spread the minutes around. You know, it, yeah. I think it often became a joke for many Villanova fans that Nova would be up by 35 and Colin Gillespie would still be in or Ryan Archdiakono mm-hmm. would still be in. Jalen Brunson would still be in. You know, I if this game is the blowout that I think many of us expect, I want to see those younger guys getting extended minutes in it. We are not going to learn anything from Caleb Daniels being out there for 35 minutes against Delaware state. If this game goes the way that we think it is going to. So I I would really like to see some extended run from some of the guys that are still trying to find their footing. And it'll be a while, a few weeks at least before Villanova has another one of these types of games. They've got Michigan state. They've got Iowa state, potentially more top 25 teams in that invitational Oklahoma will not be easy in any sense of the word. Even BC, St. Joe's, Penn, it's going to be a while. This is the game where Villanova absolutely dominates. And I'm, I'm all with you and your dad. Do, do a full half, full second half of the bench players. I'd love to see that. Oh, you outed my dad. See, I didn't say dad for a reason. Try to go with the oh, anonymity sorry. of Tom Zang. Yeah, we're, but t- it, we're keeping it. If you couldn't figure it out uh, from the last name <laughs> connection there. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I'm sure I'm I would with be you. happy with that. E- exactly. We, we, we appreciate his dedication. Him of, him of all people knows that. Yes, um, exactly. But that I think that's all you can ask for on Monday night. Uh, it's, it, it is what it is when you have yeah. a, an opponent like Delaware State coming in. I think it's it's an interesting matchup to have because it really you have nothing to gain and everything to lose. And yeah, it, um, but it should be you would assume it'll be a good run out to continue to get these guys game conditioned and have them ready for Michigan State later in the week. Totally agree. So I think we can both agree that Villanova will be three and zero. By the next time we record, yes, because that'll hope. come out Tuesday morning. Oh my God, unless something catastrophic happens. Temple can play him tough. Temple can play yeah, no, him tough. No, you're right. They certainly you're can. Right. Uh, what I was going to say is that I'm not sure, based on results from the past three nights, that every team in the Big East will be able to say the same thing by next week. And that is why I also say just be careful about the assumption of Villanova being 3-0 and because some of You're these right. Big East teams really went through a battle over these last couple nights. Yeah, where do you want to start? We're bringing back the whip around the Big East segment from last year, of course. A lot of action. There was obviously the whip around segment, which maybe they trademarked from us. So don't, we should probably... Don't get any of us started on the on the whip around for Monday night. I'm not sure uh, anyone was happy with how coverage Oh, yeah, went. you... You wanted to mention that the Temple game's on ESPNU, right? Uh, I did. So, yes, Nova Nation, make sure you are ready and able to get uh, ESPNU for Friday night. It will also be on ESPN Plus if you want to stream it and uh, try to cast it onto your television. But that's just a PSA from the state of the Nova Nation. Yeah, it's good to know. Good to know beforehand. Of course. Uh, From Big East teams, I mean, why not start with the favorites this year and, and go with Creighton in a, we talk about teams that struggled, you know, when you see Creighton playing at home to St. Thomas of Minnesota, <laughs> I don't think you expect it to be a five point game at halftime and St. Thomas in it till the very end where Creighton eventually wins by 12 here. So again, I, I think it goes into, it's difficult to make assumptions here. And especially as a team like Creighton who has very high expectations 
don't think these other teams don't know that and are 100% going to come out. And just as Temple is going to give Villanova their best shot, Creighton's going to get the best shot from a lot of different teams around the country this year. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I have a lot of thoughts about Creighton, actually, and I'm refreshing myself by looking at the box store. You would have thought, listening to Greg McDermott and his team this year, that they were the best, or should I say most improved, three-point shooting team in the country because that was one of their biggest weaknesses last year. That's what they put all of their emphasis on this offseason. They shot 24% from three. Bad again. Kluma's one for seven. Shireman's three for eight. He's kind of the only saving grace in that category, potentially one of the best transfers this year. He had 11 and 10. But Kalkbrenner is being considered for an All-American team. And he had eight points in the home opener. That type of performance isn't going to instill any confidence for Creighton's national recognition this year. Yeah, definitely a bit of a stinker for them on game one. I still think Creighton is very, very talented. And when that team gets humming, they are going to be firing. Um, but it did not get off to the way that I think yeah, didn't uh, a happen lot of the way they Creighton fans to. expected them to. Yeah. I still think Creighton will be a really tough matchup, but you don't want to play in Nebraska anyway. But yeah, definitely weird to see that. They do have such a balanced starting lineup, though. They get scoring from so many different guys. So that that's always a little bit imposing when you see that. They're the favorite for a reason. They're incredibly yeah. talented, and I, they, they certainly should be um, the favorite based on all things considered, uh, but a little ugly. Yeah, the thing that I saw, too, was that David Jones, the DePaul transfer. I loved that, yes. Put up 21 and 10 in his St. John's debut. 97 points for St. John's against Merrimack on Thursday or Monday night. I'm excited for St. John's. I told you that. Yeah. I have them slated in at fifth in the conference this year. I think this is going to be a step forward for them. I, I think they've got a chance to make the NCAA tournament um, this year. And uh, David Jones, it, it's interesting, you know, with these interconference transfers, we saw it with Akuka Cook going to Georgetown as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw a Corey Floyd going from UConn to Providence. And, and here's another example of it. Um, and uh, he came out firing for the Johnnies. For sure. Um, you want to talk about another transfer? I, a, a Villanova? Yeah, transfer? yeah, go right into I it. Say, yeah, I, th right we can't, I think we can't go further here. Uh, now, things did not go the way that Brian Antoine or Radford would have liked against Marquette, but Brian Antoine did score seven against the Golden Eagles. Um, I, I don't think this is a shining example of a Marquette team as, as we're going to see throughout the year, but they got the job done on Monday night. And of course, just great to see Brian out there and starting. I think that's the most important thing. That's why he transferred here. And uh, I know that I will certainly be rooting for him all season long out there. Totally. And you see that with, it, it was different for Javon Quinterly, obviously the circumstances. Still in college, in which... by the way. Still yeah, I mean, in college. <laughs> he had, was it an ACL that he tore? It was, I believe so. It was something bad. Yeah, it was something significant because he'll be out for a while, which is really unfortunate. But it's cool to see guys like Collins still actively rooting for him. So I, I like that. I think it'll be the same for Antoine. And just as we didn't pull massive takeaways from night one, I don't think we can pull massive takeaways from Antoine's first game in a new system after just a few months. So I feel the same way there. What I was going to say about St. John's is that, of course, the one year I'm not in on them, they're actually going to make some noise. <laughs> we'll After see. Being in on them for four years and being embarrassed year in and year out, this is what happens. Uh, we shall see on the Johnnies. I just, I do have some high hopes for them this year. Yeah. Should we talk about profits? I mean, we have to. <laughs> um, I'm sick. What's the phrase? Uh, good day for the Providence haters, should I say? I'm, good I'm day for the Providence haters a one point win over Ryder after being outscored by 10. I think it was at 15 at one point in the first half. Ryder kicked themselves in the foot. That's the reason why they lost. It was not because Providence's talent got any better as the game went on. Oh my God, it was bad. You saw some flashes of potential from the freshmen, but this team just did not look ready to play together. Uh, I, I retweeted it from Heat Check College Basketball. Providence wins a one-possession game. College basketball is officially back. True, um, and that's, true. That's all that needed to be said there. Um, <laughs> it, it was a continuation of last season being that 
uh, you know, Ryder gets the ball with about five seconds left. They've got a chance to win the game. And what happens is Ryder's going up against up the court to try for a game winning shot, but the guard trips over his own two feet, yeah. loses possession and turns ball. Don't call it luck people. Oh, Don't the luckiest the luck team index. in the country from a year ago <laughs> gets away on, on game one. So of course it's always a laugh and uh, listen, we'll see. I'm not high on Providence this year, but yeah. they gutted out a win, which was important. Another guy who was, in the spotlight a lot, Jared Bynum did not have a good first game. So Providence certainly has a lot to work on Let's this week. I'll leave it at that, I think. We'll go with that. And then, of course, we got to end with Georgetown. Uh, that's how I had it, too, ending it. It had to be done. I wish I watched more of this game because it seemed like a truly crazy one. But thank God Georgetown finally got that 21-game losing streak out of the way. You might as well do it on the first game of the season, get out of your system, and then you at least have something to be excited about as the season goes on, right? Hoya Paranoia officially back after taking down Coppin State in overtime. Yep. After overtime. Just a yikes. But hey, they <laughs> they won. Did you so. how did Wahab look? Did you see him at all? It looked fine. Uh I honestly, um, a cook a cook looked really good. Um, coming over yeah, as the you know the big huge yeah the big yeah. man from UConn and then Primo Spears who's a, a Decane transfer uh, put up 28 for them so it's a new look Georgetown team as kind of it's been the last couple of years because they've certainly been stricken with a, a ton of transfers out and and many transfers in as well so you know if, if they are going to find some sort of stride it might take a little bit for them but just to get like the monkey off the back and, yeah. and snap that 21 game losing streak, as you said, it is a big deal for them. I'm imagining this is going to be a pretty rough year, but at least they got on the win column. It's the one thing that matters. Yeah. I meant to, I think I meant to text you this the other day too. Did you see that the, the young freshman Prince from BC had that big shot? Oh, who we were talking about. Yeah. Um, I can't, I don't, I don't remember his last name, but his first name is Prince. I did. I did. Yes. So I, yeah, I, I can't wait for that game. Up. We're, yeah, we're going to talk about that soon. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps up. Our Big East talk, of course, just like we were saying with Villanova, these games will start getting a little bit more interesting too. So that will be more fun to watch. UConn looked dominant. We didn't mention them. And Xavier also scored a no, ton UConn of doesn't get a mention on this puck. So. <laughs> Not <laughs> while I'm around. Uh, respectfully, or maybe in Pat's case, disrespectfully moving on from UConn. But we have, like I mentioned, a lot of really fun mailbags. So why don't you kick us off there, Pat? So yeah, we can start things off then. There were a couple questions really came in um, centered around the same thing from Big Tasty, Nova Wildcats, and O'Corin. Uh, I think Nova Wildcats kind of got at it with, do you think Neptune will stay with a deep rotation, uh, eight or nine, or do you think it will tighten up once playing better competition, such as the PK Invitational? Yeah, it's funny. I really think you could go both ways. I'm actually not sure how you're going to answer this question because we both just said in games against Delaware State, we hope we see almost full halves of bench guys playing. But you also want to you want to be ready for the Michigan States and the Iowa States and so forth. And you want to have a solid rotation. I just like it goes back to identity, right? You just want to know what this team is going to look like and how many players you can trust in order to trust players. You have to see them play. So it'll take a little bit. I do think we will see an eight or a nine man rotation until we start really getting into the weeds of the non-conference schedule. I'm definitely along similar similar lines here that I think you're going to see a bit of a deeper rotation early on, just to your point that he, for these younger players, if you're going to find out who you're going to trust, you need to have, you know, Angelo Brizzy out there and, right. and such. When I look at this bench and how it would currently be constituted, of course, it's different than what we'll look down the line, but I feel very good that you're going to see Armstrong and Brizzy feature as two of the main guys coming off the bench. Then the question really is how far does it go after that? I, I know Trey Patterson is most certainly a name that all of us will be watching to see if he is able to carve out some sort of role. I think he'll get the opportunity earlier in the season. Uh, I'm still interested in what Brendan Housen turns into doing. And I have to say, you know, one of the, the main takeaways from, or maybe not main, but one of the takeaways from that first game, I was really surprised on and Joko only got one minute. I, yeah. I expected to see some more from him there. So I think your core as it stands right now is seven. That will shift once Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore comes back and say like a Jordan Longino can go to the bench and you can bring those three guards in Longino, Brizzy, 
and Armstrong off the bench. And there's eight, which is still a little deeper than sometimes we see last year. I think a lot of us are still a little scarred maybe from the UCLA game from a year ago where we think about that. But if we, if we do go back to that game, you know, Jay had the luxury of bringing a Caleb Daniels off the bench to play 24 minutes, even though every, all the other starters played in the high thirties or low forties and minutes there, there is not a Caleb Daniels that Kyle Neptune can call on off of the bench right now. So he has to cycle through some guys and try to give some guys some opportunities, which is why I think you see a little bit deeper of a rotation here early on. Yeah, really well said. I almost think of it in my mind. I separate the guards from the forwards too. Guards, the question is who's going to start, less who comes off the bench because you know it's that three-man rotation. Forwards, it's who's next in that pecking order. Will it be Nanjoku or will it be Trey Patterson? Question marks there. So Question yeah, marks, I, absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and that's what we're watching early on. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, I would rather have this luxury than last year, right? I think a lot of people would agree. (laughs) (laughs) Question comes in from Joe and Mark asked a similar one last question as well. Um, How are we looking for recruiting in 23 and 24? Unless I'm missing something, not hearing too much noise on Nova just yet. You can take this one, Pat. Yeah, and I, I think this also kind of goes into a question that Vega had asked us as well about the transfer portal. But no, Joe, you are correct. Everything has been very quiet so far on the Villanova 23 and 24 uh, recruiting trails. I'm not overly concerned just yet because how we think of it is that this assistant coaching staff did not turn over at all. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if there was a whole new staff coming in. Of course, the big man is no longer the head coach, but I think Kyle Neptune still commands a certain level of respect. And we know that there's a certain level of stability centered around this program and familiarity centered around this program. So I'm not ready to raise alarm bells yet there, but I think it's also impossible to completely brush it under the rug, understanding that Brandon Slater is going to go. Caleb Daniels is going to go. Justin Moore is most likely going to go at the end of this season. So with that leads me to believe, I wonder if Villanova is going to be a little bit more open in the post J Wright era with Kyle Neptune going in at adding through the transfer portal. Yes. And if that's something we are going to see next off season, because there are most certainly going to be some holes to fill. You could also look at it that there are so many players on this team right now that we're talking about that maybe a bit of a reduction isn't the worst thing in the world when it comes to trying to delve out playing time in 23, 24, but as you can hear me go through here, it's more questions than answers mm-hmm. at this point. No, that's, I think that's perfect. I hope everybody was eliminated by that. My only thing is I wasn't surprised amidst all the change that has happened. You also have to expect that these guys are waiting for the dust to settle a little bit before they make any big decisions. I was going to use the word turmoil, but I don't think that's fair because again, Kyle Neptune is a very respectable figure in college basketball, but a lot went on at Villanova and it's okay that it's taking a little bit longer than usual. Let's go with turbulence instead of turmoil. turbulence. Love it. It'd be yeah. a little bit of a bumpy road, but yeah. uh, it still can get centered out in the end. It'll work itself out. Yeah. And then we close with three more questions from, from someone that we're very excited to hear with. We missed him last week just because we had to record uh, based on our schedule, but Jerry Quinn coming in with starting things off. How many injuries will we suffer during the season? <laughs> Oh boy, I I don't want to put a number to it because that feels like jinxing it. Yep. Right? Jerry, that I can't. feels like jinxing it. I think we've dealt with enough this offseason that I would like a big fat zero in that category. Yeah, let, let's just get Whitmore and Justin back because those are two big enough injuries uh, that the team is dealing right. with right now and hope for the best uh, otherwise. Uh, second, favorite non conference game on the schedule and why? I love this question. I love looking at the non-conference schedule. Um, I'm going to say Michigan State. And of course, this is not speculating about the invitational and the potential matchups there, because that would definitely jump my list if we knew for sure. I'm going to say Michigan State just because of the brand. Two premier brands of college basketball going at it. In East Lansing, Michigan, against Tom Izzo, we've discussed that Michigan State talent-wise isn't what it used to be with Cassius Winston, et cetera. But those are still two hardcore names going at it, and it's going to be a battle. 
Yeah, it, it's a, a really fun matchup, especially, you know, you add in, of course, Tom Izzo still being there and probably being there for life uh, at Michigan oh, yeah. State. It being on the road in East Lansing, um, that's an awesome one. For me, I'm going with Boston College, um, mm. the, the Never Forget Tribute. I always think it's fun when there are throwbacks to when, uh, you know, two teams that used to play in the Big East, of course, Villanova is still in it, but BC, yeah. uh, obviously, uh, changing conferences there. I thought the same thing with Syracuse from a couple years ago. It's just, it's nice when some of these old rivalries get reignited. Add in the fact that it's a never forget um, tribute and that it is also at the Prudential Center. And I think it is a really fun matchup that I'm really looking forward to. Agree. And don't sleep on Oklahoma at Wells Fargo on no, Saturday at noon. Awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. And finally, what was your summer vacation like? Thank you, Jerry, for asking. That's very nice. We missed you over summer break. Glad to have your questions back. Thank you so much. To, and to everybody who dropped them as well. Pat, you take this one first. Tell me about your summer. A, a lot going on this summer. Uh, changed jobs, changed, changed apartments, you know, did some trips, got to go on some, go to some concerts. Uh, overall, really, really fun summer, really good summer. Uh, but most of all, I'm just excited to be talking to Nova Nation again and getting ready for some college basketball. Yeah, same here. I also moved jobs and moved states. Yeah, big summer for us both. <laughs> big summer. No, it, it flew by. Pat and I both took a break from podcasting this summer. Uh, for those of us who have, those of you who have been with us for a little bit, you knew that we were doing two podcasts at one time. We weren't able to do that with just the Villanova commitment. So for the first time, I, I think it was two full years, Pat, right? Pretty we much. did absolutely no podcasting for the summer, which was a really nice break. And it just left us so excited about this year. So I think it was well needed for both of us and left us really, really excited for what's to come now. Just energizes us to kick off oh, yeah. the season and uh, and get things started, which is why we're both so excited to be back. Oh yeah. To- could not agree more. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. Another really good mailbag. It makes us so happy to see new people dropping questions in there too. If you ever have Anything on your mind, we usually drop the question tweet on Wednesdays because we record Wednesday nights for our Thursday episodes. But if something pops into your head after a game, anytime during the middle of the week, throw us a a mention on Twitter and we'll be sure to get it in the next mailbag. And shout out Chris Lane as well for uh, a good conversation on uh, on Trey Patterson and such as well. Awesome contributor for uh, for VU Hoops. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod, and follow the show on Spotify so you never miss an episode. Check out VUHoops.com to keep you up to date on all the Villanova content throughout the season Nova Nation, have a fantastic Veterans Day on Friday. Thank you to all who have served. Enjoy the game on Friday night. Enjoy the game on Monday night. And we will talk to you on Tuesday. So Nova Nation, that's a wrap.